Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 33. Alvin, the story of Ross Bagdasarian Sr. Liberty Records format films on the Alvin Show is out now. You can order your hardback, paperback, or ebook copies today on Amazon and at BearManorMedia.com. A reminder that I am scheduled to be on Stu's show live on April 24th to discuss this book. I'm also appearing on Phil Hall's online movie show to discuss it as well. And I'm currently at work on the Total Television Scrapbook. I will give you more details about this in an upcoming episode. I will say that I recently got a number of uh, exciting pictures about the underdog balloon that used to appear in Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Our guest today is an author, and he has written books on a wide variety of topics, including Jerry Lewis, Elvis Presley, Andy Clyde, Charlie Chan, James Cagney, Bob Hope, Gene Harlow, Mickey Rooney, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chase, Clint Eastwood, Charlie Chaplin, Jack Nicholson, Harry Langdon, and more. Here he is, James Nybar. Hi, on the phone I have James Nyber. How are you today? Very well, how are you? Fine. And I'm looking through your big laundry list of books, and you've written a lot of books (laughs) about a lot of subjects that I like. So, you know, which is good. I own a few of them. I didn't even realize I own them. And I've heard... That's like most people that own them say the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) And I've heard you a few times on Phil Hall's uh, online movie show about some of your books. So... Yeah. I think the most recent one was probably either the Charlie Chan one or the Andy Clyde one. So, um... Uh, I did one on Thelma Todd, Zazu Pitts, and Patsy Kelly that came out uh, a few months ago. On his show, too? I don't know if I caught that Yeah, one, I, so. yeah I, do, okay. I don't know if the show is telecast yet. Oh, okay. Telecast. Broadcast, yeah, podcasted. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm two months ahead right now, you know. Don't tell anybody. Okay. This is supposed to be live. Anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's live as we speak. <laughs> But what, what, wasn't what, what, wasn't that impeachment amazing? Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> we talked about how we defriended each other. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there we <laughs> too, go. Too yeah. many in jokes here. Okay, all right. Uh, let me get uh, back to the basics and what I usually do. I mean, you probably have similar background to me, but how did you get interested in all these pop culture people and movie stars and things like that and into writing? Well, it started actually uh, with a terrible, tragic uh, historical event, uh, the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, when um, that happened, uh, I was just a little kindergarten kid, and my mom picked me up. We went half days in kindergarten. My mom picked me up from school, uh, stopped at the grocery store, and uh, they put the radio up against the PA system that was piped in the music, and uh, the announcement was coming over the air, and all of a sudden everything just sort of froze and here I am a little five-year-old kid seeing adults actually cry for the first time Mm. well uh, the following weekend there was uh, nothing on TV except coverage Mm -hmm. so um, my parents took us uh, my brother and me to see a movie it was my first time seeing a movie at a theater and uh, it was who's minding the store with Jerry Lewis (laughs) and it was so packed that we had to sit way up in the balcony of the theater and 
uh, the very first scene in that movie, Jerry Lewis is noisily slurping soup. Right. And people are just rocking in their seats laughing at this guy. And my young five-year-old mind is processing this as during a really sad time where everybody's unhappy, this goofy guy on the screen is making them all laugh. And at that precise moment, I fell in love with comedy and with movies. And pretty much from that point, I wanted to understand more about it, even though I was very, very little then. Mm-hmm. So did you do kind of like what I used to do in the pre-internet uh, days, is just like compile lists of filmographies and things like that? Uh, things well, like- this is, you know, obviously this is during the 60s, and so very, very little was written. The nostalgia boom wasn't uh, about to happen for a few years, so right. uh, very little was written uh, in the 60s about these people. And uh, so... I had to, like, kind of piecemeal stuff. Uh, you look at the weirdest places. Uh, there would be, like, you know, somebody would write into the TV mailbag section of the uh, newspaper TV guide and ask, right. whatever happened to Laurel and Hardy? Are they still around? Yeah. And, of course, uh, about a year after this incident, Laurel died. And I yeah. saw his obituary and read it. Things like that along the way. But... Um, Mostly, I was more interested in the movies themselves, and back in those days, silent comedy was uh, distributed to television like cartoons as children's entertainment. Mm-hmm. You had stuff like comedy capers and laugh tunes and stuff like that, and chuckleheads, <laughs> and there would be little, uh, uh, the, the best title is The Funny Man's, M-A-N-N-S, <laughs> and they would uh, show silent comedy with these obtrusive sound effects and music, but... That's how I got, I clicked into the whole thing and started to learn about people like, you know, Ben Turpin and uh, Arbuckle and Mm -hmm. all of the uh, comedians that uh, were not real relevant to that particular culture in the 60s. -hmm. And uh, you just kind of go from there. Now, when you you started getting interested, you said you saw a Jerry Lewis movie, but... Uh, did you just stick with Lewis for a while and then branch out, or did uh, were you just uh, absorbing everything all at the same time? Pretty much everything all at the same time. Uh, uh, Thirty years later, I wrote a book, uh, co-wrote a book with Ted Okuda on the Jerry Lewis film, so I got to tell that story to uh, Jerry Lewis while sitting in his living room. So that was kind of cool, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it was like because yeah, he's he was the catalyst. But then all the crazy slapsticky stuff that was on TV that was marketed to kids, I was responding to as well. The Three Stooges were on every day right. uh, after school, and on Saturday mornings, Laurel and Hardy were on, yeah. along with all the silent comedy clips that I was <laughs> telling you about. And Then you, I hooked up with the movie The Golden Age of Comedy that uh, oh, yeah. showed clips from a lot of silence, and yeah. you saw all of those. And that's when I was like 11 or 12, so yeah. it was throughout my childhood. And, you know, I did all the usual go outside and play baseball things that any kid did back then but when i was on my own and into my own thing uh rather than collect stamps i was checking out the old comedy movies on tv (laughs) so yeah i guess tv was the best way or did you try to get you know obviously the older stars were gone like buster keaton and stuff like that but i mean like did you go out and uh, make an effort to see like a new jerry lewis movie when it came out in the late 60s or were you just like these are so awful i don't want to even watch them (laughs) no as a matter of fact i uh, defend jerry lewis as if he were a family member when it comes to his films but uh, uh no i um 
I did go to the movies uh, during the 60s. Of course, remember, I was a kid, so, yeah. <clears throat> you know, your parents would take you or else. You get a, a couple of kids from the neighborhood, and you go and you get a ride to the show. Um, but uh, at the time, by the time I was, like, seeing these movies, uh, Lewis had already done his best work. Who's Minding the Store was when I was a real little kid. Right. But by the time I was getting together and going to see movies with friends, it was stuff like Don't Raise the Bridge, Lower the River, right. which was not particularly good. But you saw all the older ones on TV, including okay. the ones he did. Same with Bob Hope. Bob yeah. Hope wasn't doing his best stuff when I was growing up, but you caught him on TV, even though they were both alive. Yeah. And I guess they did reissue a few of the theaters uh, in the late yeah. 60s and stuff like that, which is something uh, they rarely do now, is reissue a film. You know, but No, not in the day of video, but uh, back then, yeah, that did happen a lot, where you yeah. uh, would go out I would get books at the library, you know. I, I read all about Harold Lloyd, and it was years before I saw one of his movies because they were out of circulation. Yeah. Stuff like that. Okay. And uh, you mentioned Buster Keaton. Actually, he was alive when I first started to get into this when I was a little oh, okay. kid. I would see him uh, in the old Beach movies when they came out, okay. and then later caught up with his silent classics. Yeah. You're, you're like a, a decade older than me, I believe. And you know, so my growing up was in the 70s, and so there, the Stooges were still around, but. Like, and uh, uh, Bud Abbott was still around, and a few others, you know. But yeah, a lot of the other people, Laurel and Hardy, were both gone, and uh, Buster Keaton definitely gone, and Harold Lloyd, I didn't remember, uh, even though he died in the seventies. It's like I don't remember hearing about him. That I was pretty young then; I was probably like four. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Um, but during the seventies, there's this big nostalgia boom where old movies were cool, and. Yeah. Uh, so that's why uh, on college campuses they had Marx Brothers and W.C. Fields and all this stuff because the uh, late 60s, early 70s college element uh, embraced those as anarchist type things yeah. and the rebellious comedy. And so uh, there was a big nostalgia. Humphrey Bogart was huge on the college campuses right. then too. And I think W.C. Uh, Fields as well, right? <laughs> Yeah, W.C. Fields was huge at the college campuses. So as a result, that stuff was hot, so that stuff was on TV. Yeah. And you got to see everything in the, by, by the early 70s. Yeah. For, for my take, I don't know if you had a similar situation like this. Uh, I caught a lot of stuff on TV and, like, Three Stooges and stuff like that. I'd just watch them. And then I think it was early 70s... Uh, you know, it was Mike Douglas show or some interview or something with Mo Howard, and my mom says, "Hey, Mo's on TV," and I went in and said, "Who's this old man?" You know, it's like <laughs> I didn't realize these films were made so far back. You know, and it's like you know, back in the '30s, they just seem like you know. Of course, they're making even to the, almost to the time he was interviewed, but you know, the earlier good ones with Curly, you know, it's like back in the '30s and '40s, and it's like, wow, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've talked to other people like that. They reacted, but when I was a kid, I. I guess I kind of realized they were old movies. I would be like asking my grandparents. My grandparents were born at the turn of the century, so naturally they grew up watching these movies new. And so I would ask them about uh, people like Ben Turpin and so forth that I just, you know, wasn't going to get any uh, information anywhere else, really. Yeah. And uh, they would share their memories as best that they could because they went to the movies and enjoyed them, but they were just the comedians they had. They weren't like into it like I was. And so. And I learned to read Roman numerals so I could read the copyright <laughs> dates on TV oh. so I knew when these movies were made. Right. So I had an idea of that. Yeah. Plus, the, the Three Stooges host once uh, uh, indicated that uh, Curly and Shep had died. Yeah. So I knew that 
they were both gone and I was seeing movies that they had made yeah obviously before that happened right. so <laughs> well for me it's like seeing him older actually that kind of spurred my interest in seeing yeah. in, in the historical aspect of it I go wow these have a a, a, a tenure or whatever you know it's not just yeah. something they did for a laugh a week ago and they're done you know it's like you know they had longevity to it all and that's that's where I got interested in but uh, you know I, I didn't know where to start on things so I just compiled lists and stuff like that because there's very few books as you well know so <laughs> well in the early 70s uh, the guy that was well there were some books like William K. Everson did a book on Laurel and Hardy that was yeah. great and so forth but the, the guy that I always consider the pioneer I hope he's not listening and getting embarrassed by the accolade but uh, Leonard Malton when he came out with uh, the great movie shorts yes. and movie yeah. comedy teams and stuff like that yeah. That was the first time, I mean, he had a filmography of the Three Stooges, so uh, all those movies which I had seen countless times by that time, yeah. I could actually kind of put in order and see the trajectory and the evolution. It's like, I grew up with the Beatles, so I heard the Beatles as they happened, and I can appreciate how they evolved. I didn't hear Sgt. Yeah. Pepper and then Love Me Do all over the place. Yeah. But I couldn't do that with something like the Three Stooges, so I had a kind of figure it out in my head because of my deeper interest uh, in what order these went and what was the first Shemp, what was the last Shemp right. <laughs> what was the last Curly, how come mm-hmm. and uh, all that was like, he gathered the information first and put all that out there and my god that was helpful <laughs> yes. Now, I met him a few years ago. He's a very sweet man. And uh, I told him as well, uh, the three historians that I idolized, and now they're all, well, Malton's not really a friend, but he's an acquaintance, I'll say. I'll leave it at that. But the other two are Jerry Beck and uh, Jim Corcus. And it's like, before I got into all this, I was a teenager, and I, I saw like Malton's book that Jerry Beck contributed of Mice and Magic on animation. I said, I was like in heaven. This is like the book you know and it's like you know, yeah so you know i've met all these guys and you know i said i idolized you i, I have to admit and then you know they they were flattered so and still are you know but it's like you know i, I haven't met any of them but i uh have admired the work of all three for quite a long time yes so. yeah so, so um which book did you do first then is it the you had an earlier version of the jerry lewis book was that the first one or is there something before that no that's that's the same book it it was in hardcover for like 20 years and then oh. they put it out in paperback oh, okay so i have the paperback version it. okay i got it yeah okay. no, but uh no uh, the, my first two books suck oh um I, uh, let's talk I, about them. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, let's talk about what sucks so that nobody buys anything ever. You know, I once, I, uh, people come on Amazon. It's hilarious. I, I once had somebody come on Amazon and give my book a bad uh, star rating because they didn't like the quality of paper used. Oh. I've had wacky reviews too, and I'm like, I wish I could erase these reviews. They're just nonsense, you know. (laughs) Nah, let them stand. They're more fun. But but yeah, so if I'm going to be judged by the quality of the paper by anybody, you know, I give up. Okay, you win. But uh, yeah, my my first two books. um, The first, (laughs) you know, I I get a contract for a book, and. my first book was like this overview of movie comedians and it's out of print now so uh the problem is you can find it like for a dollar so people say oh one of neighbor's books for only a buck <laughs> then they buy it and they say that this sucks um <laughs> it's, it's it's like 
really hollow and opinionated where I tell what I like and what I don't like uh-huh. and then list a title-only filmography. Mm. And that was good enough back then, I suppose. But um, when I look at it now, it's like I give no reasons. I, I, I don't give any substance. And plus, my tastes have changed a little bit on some things that uh, I probably... Uh, could have done better but uh you know i can be dismissive and say that's my first book it's out of print who cares right then i did one i want to do one on you know the hollywood tough guys like cagney and bogart and edward g robinson and so forth yeah and uh first of all the the title is awful the the publisher changed it to tough guy the american movie macho (laughs) (laughs) this time i tried to explain too much and i'm using words like uh James Cagney's performance in this film is a study in asceticism. <laughs> and now I look back and I say, you know, if I was my college professor, I'd flunk me. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, you know, that those two books I'm dismissive of and I make fun of, and they were written over 30 years ago, and that's just the way it is. But okay. Then, after that... Well, what's your first well, good book, all right? <laughs> my, first good, my first good book was This Morning. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> my third book, my third book was an, uh, um, like a uh, reference book on RKO Studios, listing okay. all their features with credits and stuff, mm-hmm. which is now rendered obsolete by the internet. Right. But then, then, <laughs> then I did the Jerry Lewis book, and yeah. since then I've done books on uh, everybody from. Uh, uh, Chaplin and Buster Keaton to Jerry Lewis and Elvis Presley to Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. None of them are biographies. They're all film-by-film film, uh, looks at the uh, performer or director's okay. work. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about a few of them here. I'll stick with okay. the Jerry Lewis one since I st- in that one I actually own, so I can comment on okay. it. Uh, you said you met him. Uh, now, uh, did you actually interview him? I saw little uh, sound yeah. bites about uh, certain films from him, but I didn't know if they were from interviews you did or got from other information or other sources. Yeah, nope, those are exclusive. Ted and I contacted his people and said, because we, we said to ourselves, you know, we can't do this when we write about Buster Keaton, but Lewis is alive and well, and let's give it a shot. All okay. they can do is say no. So we contacted his people, and they said, yeah, he'll do it. No, oh, okay. And uh, I guess he, they got a hold of, well, Lewis probably got a hold of my first book and said no, but uh, he probably got a hold of Ted, and uh, Ed Watts did a book on the Columbia Comedy Shorts, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Maybe he looked at that, and that got us in. Okay. But, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, um, we set it all up, and... After uh, he finishes with the telethon, he likes to hang out on his boat in the San Diego Harbor. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we uh, made arrangements to go hang out with him on his boat. And so we sat on Jerry Lewis's boat and asked him every question we could. And at first, he had a guy all set up to come in after like a half hour and say, Come on, Jerry, we've got that thing. Mm-hmm. because he didn't know us and he was going to give us like a little bit of time so we're right. asking and we understood how that works so we're asking as many questions as we could mm-hmm. and then when the guy came in and says come on Jerry we have that thing Jerry waved him off and hung around with us for like two or three more hours oh, wow. and okay. answered all these questions and then he really did have to go but he made an appointment right then and there for us to come to his home in a few weeks oh, and wow. finish out any interviews, refining the interviews and getting more quotes. So we got to do stuff like, so, Jerry, what'd you think of the Three Stooges and stuff like that mm-hmm. while we were there? Oh, because, cool. uh, and, and uh, we got to hear stories about, like, 
him and Elvis Presley at the, on the Paramount lot and stuff like that, which I later used for my Elvis book years okay, later. Okay, that. Yeah, you mentioned so that. it all works out, you know, worked out well that way. But the first thing when you walk into his house, uh, the first thing we saw was the original painting by Norman Rockwell from Cinderella oh, wow. hung up in his living room. <laughs> and we walk in, we go, hey, look! <laughs> so, <laughs> Let's take it. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, didn't steal anything from Jerry. No. Okay. <laughs> um, how was he? I mean, some people say he's an awful person or was an awful person, and you know, uh, you know other people said, "No, I never had any uh, bad times with him." Was he, you know, at least cordial during that time and answered everything? Yeah, well, they say both of those about me, but um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, Jerry, uh, he was super nice to us, okay. but he didn't remember things correctly all the time. That's oh. why. Well, what did he say on that Laurel and Hardy DVD that Laurel saw a fat electrician and said, hey, I can make money with him, and that was Hardy. Right. Hardy had been in movies for like five years by that yes, time. Yes. He, had a, he had the thing all mixed up. Yes. Um, well, he does that with his own films. When we said, well, now you made this movie uh, in this year, and he goes, no, no, that was that year. And I said, when you did this scene with so-and-so in this movie, no, he wasn't in that movie. And we'd have to prove it. And he'd go, <laughs> oh, geez, what do I know? I only directed it and kind of laugh it off. Mm-hmm. But you had to have to realize, you know, he's an old man, and uh, A, he tells stories, and right. B, he doesn't remember stuff because he didn't study it. He just did it 50 years before. So, uh so we gave him a pass on that, and we just made sure that we knew our stuff so that when he got lost, we brought him back on track. Or we printed, you know, rather than print the legend, we printed the truth. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that, but he was very nice, very helpful, very friendly. He was taking us around his house and showed leather-bound scripts for his movies, including uh, the Bellboy one with Stan Laurel's uh, written uh, instructions on the margins. Oh, wow. You know, he, he, I, I mean, I get to actually see that. We're freaking out seeing this stuff. It's really cool stuff. So, no, he was great. And uh, after that, he stayed friends. That's something that I didn't expect, where he'd call and ask how I was, uh, like, oh, okay. you know, years later. He was still doing that. He would call on my birthday. I'd call on his. Hmm. Things like that started happening, which I didn't expect. But we did the Stan Laurel. Ted and I teamed up to do a book on the Stan Laurel solo films, mm-hmm. and we asked uh, Jerry to write the uh, foreword. Yes. Not only did he agree, but he didn't write anything down. He filmed himself, and they sent it to us on a thumb drive so <laughs> we could... And we just uh, transcribed from there. And he told the story about, this is how Laurel and Hardy met, which is completely wrong. And we just didn't use that because yes. it's completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to hear this, him tell that story, but it's not right. Yeah. Well, at least you left it out. Or you could just put an asterisk. Not right now. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is BS. This right here. <laughs> but... Well, that's great because you know you always hear all these horrible things about Jerry and stuff like that. Um, now, had you seen all of Jerry Lewis's films at the time, or the others? Uh, like even now, some aren't on DVD. So, was there some elusive ones that you just had to kind of make up yeah, what it was? Not, not really. No, what most of them we saw as we were growing up. And, okay. You know, had a pretty good uh, idea of. But uh, I remember he uh, was doing something uh, uh, nearby where I live. You know, some like. Uh, special presentation thing anniversary thing nearby where i lived and he let me know so that and then uh, ted came in and uh me and him and my you know my son and everybody we all went and uh took jerry lewis out to lunch in milwaukee and uh i said to him i says the only one of your movies i don't have on on tape at that time it was tape uh mm. is uh um the, 
the big mouth. I can't seem to find that one. Mm-hmm. Well, I could find it. It's just like it costs like eighty dollars or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. It was just crazy. And he goes, "Oh, really? Okay. Well, uh, uh, let me see what I can do about that." Maybe a week later, there was one in the mailbox from me with his autograph on it. Wow. <laughs> so he, he did stuff like that all the time. He was so. constantly doing stuff like that. So. Uh, it, it, it was nice, you know, he got to meet my son. I mean, he arranged, because uh, we were going to just drive him over to the restaurant. We went to the hotel to get him, and uh, he had a limo waiting. He says, no, we'll take my car. Mm. And I'm thinking, you don't know your way around town. I, I really should drive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he goes, no, 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 I have a car. And there was a limo sitting there waiting, and uh. there's people, uh, and he's trying to watch golf in the back of the limo and my son keeps changing the station to wrestling <laughs> and then he grabbed my son and choke him and stuff it was and my son was like you know six years old or something at the time so it was kind of funny <laughs> um now the ones that surprised me and i guess i had heard of them at the time but uh they certainly didn't get wide release at least not around here uh the french ones he did in the 80s the late 80s and yeah. stuff like that uh so did yeah, you yeah. see those or yeah those are awful but we saw them both in the french language and uh, basically uh lewis admits they're bad movies but he just showed up and you know okay. he, got a, he, he got a trip to france uh, a lot of money to make some faces in some other people's movie and uh, you know there's, there's like topless women and stuff oh, wow. like that so it's pretty wild experience but uh, but yeah he uh, we, we did managed to obtain copies of those okay <laughs> because I, I was saying where in the world did you do you know and then i look on imdb uh, and i go hey they do exist i didn't even know about them i thought slapstick of another kind or whatever was his last film or he did mix nuts or something later but i don't know you know so i was kind of curious yeah. what his last film was and then these french ones are in there and I, what <laughs> yeah, so. yeah i know exactly <laughs> But, um, so after Jerry Lewis, uh, you, you know the order of your own books probably, so which ones did you work on next? Uh, that's a, after Jerry Lewis is my horror story book, uh, the Bob Hope films. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually got quotes from Hope and everything, but I was almost done with the book. This is my great horror story. Um, and my computer crashed, Ooh. and the disc, and the disc that I was saving the book on didn't work, so I had to rewrite the book. Uh. Uh, and the book uh, suffers from that because I, you know, the notes I had and everything were on the disc. This was floppy disk time, so yeah. uh, these, these things don't happen as easily as they did back then. Right. So it, it, this is my catastrophe book where uh, I rewrote the book as best as I could, but I lost, like, my notes. I lost everything because it was all saved on disk. Uh, and the disks, for some reason, didn't work in the new computer that I had to buy when this when my current one crashed so yeah. every every precaution i took failed so and as a result it's not a very good book and i have to admit it uh, isn't and uh you know i suppose that's not nice to say now i'm gonna no one's ever gonna buy it ever but yeah. uh <laughs> it's not you know it, it, it's not one of my better books i have some good cool pictures in there some cool quotes from hope and stuff like that but uh mm-hmm. overall you know my assessments you know i could have done better with it or more with it but I lost it. I was like almost finished. It's this terrible experience. So yeah. there's not a whole lot I can do about that one. Uh, uh, well, um, then, yeah, I was thinking then, about that. Uh, yeah, but then I wrote, uh, I've written two books on Chaplin. I've written three on Buster Keaton. In fact, uh, one Buster Keaton book I 
co-wrote with Terry Lynch, a, a young lady who uh, is one of my, I, I have a, an amazing staff of around two or three, but um, mm-hmm. that helps, has helped on my projects. And um, uh, Terry and I did a book on Buster Keaton's silent short films, and that's probably the book I'm most proud of because I really think we nailed it there. I think we yeah. really gave a lot of information on each short, not only assessing them, but also providing background information and stuff and some good pictures and so forth and uh i am really proud of what we did with that one that's probably the book uh i have the most pride in yeah i I actually i have that book too um and it's kind of funny i hesitated i saw it in the store and i hesitated buying it because i was saying this doesn't really cover everything and uh you know i was kind of like you know and then when i started looking through it i go I get what you did, so you know. Yeah. Then I understood it because I wanted. I was looking for a Buster Keaton like whole career. I wanted the Beach Party movies in there. In other words, you know, I wanted everything yeah. in there. And it's like it's only these, you know. Yeah, those are the probably the best films he did. But it's like I wanted everything. But I get what you did for and the well, reasons. It's because so. yeah, it's because if I do his whole career. Uh, the book would be like 900 pages and cost a million dollars. Right. <laughs> it's just, you know, I don't want to just, you know, do a few paragraphs. <laughs> yeah. I had to do that for Bob Hope. Yeah. But, um, the uh, Buster Keaton stuff, I also have a book called The Fall of Buster Keaton. Yeah. Uh, which is on his sound films. And, and there I cover such classics as Pajama Party and yeah. a lot of stuff a while. Well, that, that book I don't have, so I'll probably have to invest in that. And I probably will still get the Bob Hope one because uh, I interviewed Wesley Hyatt on another uh, episode here, and uh, he did Bob Hope on TV. And it just made me think, is there a book about the Bob Hope films, even those the latter half are pretty bad uh and then i saw that you did one i was like oh cool you know it's like so mm, yeah yeah uh, right. oh. well is there a way to <laughs> oh, okay i don't want to belabor it but is there ever a chance you'd like revise it or update it or is it just like, i wish i could that's the one book i wish i could go back and rewrite but you know the book's done and it's out and oh, okay. it's like uh, if somebody makes a bad movie i suppose they can remake the same movie and say oh this is the good one but yeah. uh not okay. I'm okay. afraid uh, I, I pretty much uh, jumped the boat on that one. Okay, man. yeah. Because when I did, like, um, I did uh, my Harvey Comics history called the Harvey Comics Companion, I was just going to expand upon something I wrote originally, and then I realized it's not going to work. And so I literally yeah. had to start from scratch and just start over, and it made a better book. So that's why, I was, you know, I know it would be a bunch of time and investment, and you go, oh, i got to watch all these Bob Hope films again. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, I may we're, still... We're good until about 1959. I, I, I'm going to give you bucks for it. I probably will buy it. So anyway, because... Uh, well, if I had an extra one, I'd just send you one. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I only have my own copy, and I'm almost willing to give you that. Yeah. But, <laughs> so. You really don't like it. Okay, I want it even more. It's just and the movie and the movie comedians. I want that one too. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I anyway. wish it. Uh, I, I, w- I wish it uh, hadn't happened where I had to, you know, respond to a catastrophe. But yeah. you okay. know, I did. I did books on you know Keaton and a couple on Chaplin. I did mm-hmm. Charlie Chase talkies, the Harry Langdon silence. So mm-hmm. I cover a lot of things that I'm pretty satisfied with how they turned out. Okay, let's talk about the Chaplin ones. I mean, because there's a okay. lot of Chaplin books out there. Uh, yeah. I don't have yours. I've kind of been a, a latent uh, Chaplin fan. I used to. 
I actually was of the mind of just not being able to stand him, you know, to where I could, like, tolerate him, to where now I'm like, I don't know why this has changed, but I, you said you had rediscovery yourself about certain comedians, and now yeah. I totally respect him, and I'm like, totally, one, and I think it was the Criterion releases that kind of switched my mind about Chaplin, uh, that Oh, he wasn't like a hack, you know. It's like that's actually, you know, some people would say that's sacrilege. You know, Chaplin's the greatest, but I don't know. I found him annoying and everything. So, uh, well, uh, my approach to Chaplin is somewhat different to a lot of others. Most people, when they embrace Chaplin, first of all, I think he's the single most important figure in the history of motion pictures. So let's get the hyperbole out of the way. And uh, <laughs> then, um, uh, I also, uh, I think his coolest stuff isn't like city lights and modern times and so forth i think his best stuff is the really early stuff and um like his keystone i did a book on his keystone films and a lot of chaplin fans dismiss those as like you know uh the beatles at hamburg type of thing Mm. where uh, it's just like you know sort of a lead up to greatness whereas i think this is before chaplin added any pretension or any you know any of that extra stuff and he was just this wild, knockabout, crazy, gag-filled, creative uh, genius making yeah. incredibly funny, outrageous comedies. And he had a real vision. And I think something like his Tristing Place is just hilarious or Doe yeah. and Dynamite. Well, those they are the ones I like, too. And so I think I'm yeah. kind of of the same uh, thought. And this is why I didn't like Chaplin. Is like he started off with that type of humor. And then later, you know, all I can think of is, like, you know, stuff that is... Uh, painful to kind of go through sometimes is Monsieur Boudot or Countess in Hong Kong or something, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> a, a, a comedy glorifying murder for money, a great, great Yeah, yeah, so I mean, that type of stuff, you know, it's like, I go, what happened to the funny, you know, and even, even stuff which now I'm kind of, uh, have a a second thought about because unlike say and we'll say Jerry Lewis too on this you know Jerry Lewis and Charlie Chaplin they loved the pathos and for me it's like I just like the funny get rid of those pathos who cares you know we don't care if your clown has another side to him with sadness we just want the funny but I'm learning it now that I'm respecting it now and understand it better so yeah well they do that today too nowadays they'll have a comedy then this big huge dramatic moment in the middle of it, and, uh, you know, if they if the Three Stooges made movies today, Mo would be weeping in anger management classes. So it, it, it just isn't the same. But um, oh yeah, with Chaplin, uh, I like what he did at uh, SNA and at Mutual too. Yeah. Now I didn't write a book on Mutual, Michael. Oh, okay. uh, Mike, uh, there, there's an uh, geez, I can't think of his name now. <laughs> and he's he's like a friend of mine. He wrote this great book on the Chaplin. Well, he's not listening. Malton might be, but he's not. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. No, no. It wasn't. It, it wasn't Leonard Malton. Uh, Michael. I can't think of his last name. I hate that when that happens. But uh, I'm sorry, Michael. But uh, <laughs> it's a great book, too. I'd like to plug it. But, Nes- Nesmith. Um, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, his name I'd remember. But, <laughs> Go ahead. But sorry. Any, anyway, um, the, uh, the the Keystones, and then at SNA, he started to uh, transition, and then at Mutual is where I think he perfected his craft. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he kept it good but like you said he added a little bit more pathos a little bit more drama and a lot of people applaud that and while i respect it objectively subjectively i prefer the crazy knockabout uh, 
short yeah. films he did. Okay. So we're kind of on the same level on that, you know. But I, I have to respect it because I just dismissed the later stuff totally, and now I kind of respect that. You know, I've also done more research. I've read uh, Chaplin's autobiography and other books about him and stuff like that. So I get a more well-rounded picture than just kind of like, you know, and again, like Jerry Lewis, kind of like this jerky guy. You know, it's like to put it politely, you know. So, but. Um, now, you, we mentioned Three Stooges a few times. Are there any intentions of doing a Three Stooges book by you, or are there just too many I think, out there? You know, I, I would, but I, it would be a blast. It would be a lot of fun to do, but I think they've pretty much been well covered, where yeah, yeah. I don't know that I have anything that can be added, because there's some incredibly wonderful, brilliant, ingenious Three Stooges uber geeks out there that just know everything, and it's online, and there's books, and there's any piece of information you want to find out True. about anything regarding their films is sort of out there. Mm-hmm. And as much as I'd like to tell how much I love this or that, uh, I, I, I just don't think there's room for me. You could do the Curly Joe Dorita biography. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I don't do biographies, but doing Curly Joe Dorita's films, I saw a lot of those uh, first run at the okay. theater. Oh. Yeah. So... Anyway, you, you get arguments with kids who insisted that was the curly that was in the shorts on TV. Mm. Honest to God, kids mm. thought, that, and they would refer to Curly Howard as Curly Joe, thinking it's the same guy. I it wasn't was, that was, dumb. Oh no, it was maddening. It was maddening. Let's see. Uh, well, when you're on Phil Hall's show, I'll go to the, the well, uh, the Andy Clyde one. That was an interesting thing. I had only really yeah. seen some of those shorts. I think you mentioned it, you know, in that big Three Stooges box set. They had yeah. like a bonus disc that just had a bunch of extra stuff, you know. And yeah. I had heard of Andy Clyde, but I really hadn't seen it. And it's like now that I've seen some of them. I was kind of in agreement with what you were saying on there. The, the Jules White ones are really good, and, you know, I'd like to see more. Is there, I think you touched on this. Is there, There's just ones that just don't exist, or is they net, yeah, sitting there in the Columbia vault or something, or what? Well, on the disc that came with the Three Stooges set, it's uh, stuff that the Three Stooges did solo, and Shemp was in uh, a handful of Andy Clyde comedies. That's why those are on there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately... One, the very first one in which Shemp co-stars with Andy Clyde is a lost film. Uh, there, it's not in the Sony archives, and uh, it's not in like the Library of Congress. I looked into all that. Mm. There is a, if there's a print existing out there anywhere, uh, nobody seems to know about it, and mm. that's one that uh, obviously uh, Columbia would have, you know, Sony would have included that on that disc if it existed at all and it just doesn't Mm. and i'd love to see it so you know you get a whole of like uh you know reviews and production information and you know sometimes a script and stuff like that for the elusive ones so you can write about them and tell why they're elusive and what actually happened and how they were received at their time but they weren't ones that i personally could screen and with andy clyde uh he had the longest one running and uh series of short subjects at columbia other than the Three Stooges. Right. And the fact that he started in the silent era and worked for Max Senate and stuff like that, then worked into TV, he was a regular on Lassie and right. uh, shows like that. that, that's just incredible. Real McCoys, I think, is what we used to Real McCoys, yeah. and a lot of Westerns, the Hopalong Cassidy films and yeah. some with uh, Whip Wilson and people like that. It yeah. was a blast. It's just kind of funny that uh, you know, it's like that 
Well, first of all, it's always funny when a sound movie is missing. I can understand silence because when sound took over, they just kind of dumped everything. <laughs> but yeah. and a lot of that stuff was on nitrate film or whatever, and you know, and vaults that got burned to the ground and stuff like that, whatever. But uh, so there's no leads. Not like on that particular one. Just to belabor the point, it's like there's not even part of the film, like some TV print or something that exists somewhere? No, nope, it was never in the TV package as oh, far as I know. Okay, and and, and uh, there, there's a few Andy Clyde movies. There's a, there's actually, you know, a handful of them that uh, just are not out there. And hmm. uh, I talk to, uh, like, you know, people that work in the archives at Sony when you say to them, hey, you know, putting out a, a like a Andy Clyde sampler, like, you know, even if it's an on-demand DVD, like DVD-R or whatever, uh, um, would be great. And they'd agree with me, but then when you contact the people in charge of doing, like, video, uh, you don't you don't hear back from them. It's like, yeah. you know, like a sort of a non-existent thing. And I know there's a niche market out there because I'm right. part of it, and I know the situation, but they don't realize that, and I'm afraid it's hard to convince them that beyond the Three Stooges, they, I mean, uh, there were people there that got them to put out the Charlie Chase uh, Columbias and the Buster Keaton Columbias, but the people that managed to do that uh, don't seem to be active at the place anymore, and Hmm. uh, those who are, remain behind, uh, an old movie to them is probably the first Star Wars, so... Yeah. <laughs> kind of hard to do. Yeah, it's kind of, it seems to be the case in all the studios, except maybe Warner's, because Warner Archives tries. You know, yeah. they, they, there's still a lot of things that they don't put out, but, you know, they put out quite a bit, you know, which is actually quite remarkable, considering, you know... Yeah. So... Um, and of of those, you know, just since we're mentioning that, did you have have you ever had any pull in getting a movie released, either through them or uh, through uh, Sony or anything like that? Oh no, I'm not nearly that interesting. <laughs> um, so the, they didn't look at the Andy Clyde book and start scratching their chin, going, "Hmm, maybe I don't know." <laughs> no, the, they probably got a hold of movie comedians and dismissed me completely. So. <laughs> Um, now it is true, I think, on Columbia Pictures, didn't they, regardless if they release it, didn't they actually go through their entire archives and, like, remaster it or something like that, or upgrade it or something? I think I heard that a few years ago. That's probably true. I'm not exactly positive, but I'm, I'm yeah. uh... That's probably accurate, yeah. Yeah, and I think they even went so far as actually, you know, restoring old movie trailers and any short they could find and newsreel. I don't know what Columbia's newsreels were called, but it seemed like I heard that they did everything just because, you know. And I guess, you know, they could release it all, but it doesn't seem like there's any intention really to release it, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's unfortunate. Okay. Um, Let's see. Now... Some uh, it, it just out of curiosity. So you have a film book of W. C. Fields, which I do not right. have. Yeah. But back in the seventies, and I have this one. There's a book called The Films of W. C. Fields. So yep, Don, how, Donald Deschner. <laughs> so uh, was that your intention to do like an updated version of these books? Because they used to have the films of fill in the blank for years, and then now those are all out of print, and sometimes you can find them cheap in old used bookstores, and sometimes they're hard to find, so uh, was that your intention, or you just love the uh, W.C. Fields and all these other comedians so much that you said, I'm doing my book regardless if there's another book or not? <laughs> well, uh, 
the only books written about W.C. Fields in that manner were written in the 60s and they're out of print. Yeah. So, And a lot of films, I mean, they had access to none of the silence. In fact, even as talking, you're telling me was not in circulation when those books were written. Uh, so uh, I had more to say and more information and so forth. Uh, in fact, my book's even the first one to indicate that the golf specialist is not his first uh, appearance in a sound film. He was in a newsreel uh, in, in which he spoke uh, mm. before the golf specialist. And that that's, my, I, I believe my book might be the first one to say that. Now somebody else is going to have a book set before mine is going to yell at me. But uh, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And um, I got, because I uh, got that information from uh, the recently late uh, Ron Hutchinson, who was helpful on a lot of my projects. And mm. we're all going to really miss Ron. Mm. But, um, but yeah, the uh, W.C. Field film, see, I can't do the Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy. Those are pretty well covered with pretty recent books. Okay. I mean, Randy Scratford did a, a great book on Laurel and Hardy. Scott McGillivray did one on uh, their later years. Though Those books are very readily available and fairly recent. But when a book hasn't been in print since like 1970 or whatever, right. and uh, they're mostly the Citadel books that you were talking about, the films of books, those are mostly picture books with a few paragraphs about what happened in the movie. Right. They don't go into any real depth. And there's a lot more information that can be acquired now so uh i think we can do more than those real old books just like the book i have on gene harlow there was a book on the films of gene harlow that uh, came out around 1969 or so mm -hmm. and nothing and nothing since well there's more to say because that's essentially a picture book and you know not a real lot of depth to uh uh the, the films themselves and you know what her legacy is all about and so uh, and it's long long out of print it was you know it's been out of print for uh, you know almost 50 years now so i think uh we can say a little bit more about that true true yeah because that, that was the next one i was going to invest in is the wc fields one seriously you know more than bob hope but <laughs> Uh, because I didn't know you did the Bob Hope one, but yeah, it, it is true. You know, a lot of the film books that came out in the past were like the Richard and Noble f frame blow up ones, like Why a Duck and all those series, you know. And they did Godfrey Daniels and stuff like that. So, yeah, but not real yeah. any history. And of course, now those are all kind of rendered obsolete because of the access to the films itself and you can freeze frame on your TV and pour over the video in pristine quality, so... <laughs> a nobly, a nobly did Mark's Brothers Scrapbook. The nobly? Though. Okay, I didn't know how for Yeah, and, okay. and he did Mark's Brothers Scrapbook, and that, that's, uh... That's a great book. Yes. <laughs> Groucho uh, just kind of let loose and nobly printed everything. Yeah. And then Groucho says, wait a minute, uh, yeah. tried to sue him. There's a great story behind it, but uh, there's a lot of good information in that book, and so I always liked it. I, I, think, yeah. I, think, he's, I think the author is still around. Uh, yeah. Well, he did a lot of uh, uh, photo novels during the 70s and 80s, you know, it's like I have some of the Star Trek ones and things oh, like okay. that, so he was continuing on for a long time, and I guess he just got burned out, or the home video market kind of rendered him obsolete, so he just stopped, I don't know, so... <laughs> yeah. But, um... Uh, one of the books also I saw on your list, uh, Monster Movies of Universal Studios, uh, do you yep. go into... Like the filmographies of like Boris Karloff or anything like that, or you just strictly stick to the Universal movies? Yeah, I'm just, it, it's just the Universal monster movies. It isn't like you know stuff like Old Dark House isn't in there, but uh, the Frankenstein's, the Draculas, uh, all of those. And uh, 
I uh, did a lot of real heavy research. A uh, um, couple of helpers. Katie Carter was one of my helpers on that, and Kelly Parmalee, mm-hmm. uh, two uh, uh, ladies that uh, helped me on that book uh, with the research and uh, the pros and stuff that we're looking into it. Um, and I found some uh, wild stuff like an interview with Lot. Cheney, where he talks about how he and Maria Ospenskaya almost got killed on the set of Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman and stuff like that. <laughs> so I not only do an assessment of the films and uh, give them a lot of respect because I think they're all great, um, but uh, I also uh, have some uh, background information as I can find. And there was a book where um, I thought there was already enough written about those films because there's so many books like that out there but that's a situation where the publisher suggested i do that because i think they wanted a book on those films for that that, that only happened twice in my career that one and jack nicholson uh Hmm. were not originally my ideas but then uh i started talking to friends and others that uh about doing a book like that and they were like really all for it I figured, okay, well, you know, if there's a market for a new book uh, covering the Universal Monsters, so I limited it to just the monster movies because then I could talk at a little bit greater length. Still, it's not a real long book because there aren't that many, you know, when you total them all up. But you still have enough room to say what you want about everything. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a few uh, uh, really neat pictures in there and so forth. So uh, I'm pretty... pretty, uh, satisfied because that's probably my best-selling book of all time hmm. how, how how far late do you go you go through the, I go through the, the creature movies oh, okay all okay, right okay i didn't know if you got went to the 60s or 70s or something like that with things like that because i know it's kind of different after that it's not really the studio system and everything but yeah no it's just the uh, universal monster movies i did include the adam costello so yeah well that's good cool. still meet the invisible man and stuff like that right. all in there I'll have to get that one too. <laughs> it's like, hey, keep li- This is my uh, Christmas list here. I look down here. Okay, I need this one. I need this oh, one. That, 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 well, this sounds great because my last royalty check was two clean shirts and a taffy apple. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, on ones like uh, you just mentioned the Jack Nicholson one, eh? you know, which yeah. is kind of written on demand, you know. Uh, was that harder for you? If you, I don't know if you're a fan of his. I mean, I'm a fan of his, but I don't know if I'd write a book on him. But you know, was that difficult for you? Uh, the only thing that was interesting is that that's the first book I wrote where I hadn't already seen all of the movies, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, you know, with Andy Clyde, of course, I hadn't seen every little short subject he made. But uh, for something like you know, if I choose to write a book on the Clint Eastwood westerns, right? Choose to write a book on. Uh, the uh, Charlie Chase talkies or the Harry Langdon silence. I've pretty much seen them all and have uh, an idea of how I want to approach it. Whereas Jack Nicholson, as big as his movies were, I really hadn't seen every single one that, uh, so the publisher didn't want a career overview. I did. I wanted to do all of his films up to uh, his latest. And they said, no, just write the essential Jack Nicholson Mm. and just the highlights, good and bad of what he did. And uh, so I went about it that way and just mentioned his others. Um, That book uh, turned out uh, pretty well uh, regardless, but 
it's more fun to write something you have a passion for. Right. At the very least, the Universal Monsters book, I love those. I have a passion for those. And so I was really into that when they suggested, you know, we'd like to, we'd like a book on this. Would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, yeah, good idea. But hasn't enough been written? And they say, we think we can do something with it. And so I talked to friends and we put something together and it was great. Mm-hmm. But uh, with Jack Nicholson, um, even though... Uh, there haven't been books with the same sort of depth that we try to provide with uh, the book that I did. Um, it, it's when you don't have, when you admire the person, but you don't have the unbridled passion for the work, it's not as much fun or exciting of a project right. um, or even as challenging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but it didn't, it, it's not like a blow off. It came off, you know, it's not like, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's, came out just fine it's no uh, bob hope okay yeah well bob hope i bob, bob hope was a catastrophe because my computer, i know i know i know i, know. I just story. i just I keep bringing that, that now that i know writers. that i keep bringing it up it's like yeah. uh, that's why I, I love telling that story to other writers because uh now it's going to happen to you someday. Well, it, ha- it hasn't happened for an entire book, but it has re- happened for articles I've written. I've had to rewrite articles. <laughs> now with the now with the cloud, it's a little bit harder to do. You know, it's like you know you can back things up and yeah, it's really easy to keep things now. But back then it was uh, it was a catastrophe. I had my punishment in hell, the third yeah. ring of hell. Yeah, so I kind of know what you're talking about, but you know, it's like I I remember in those days uh, where pre where you had to remember save it, save it, save it, and I would save things like in five different spots just to make sure, you know, you know, and and I had I did lose drafts before in those old days, so I'd have to like go to the previous draft and just kind of figure it out what I updated and stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I've never lost a complete book like. Oh, God, I, was al- I was almost done all my notes and uh, I had saved it, backed it up on a floppy disk. The floppy disks didn't work when I got the new computer. I went to other places and tried to get it to work. Oh, that was murder. Yeah. That, that, this is like 25 years ago. Right. Nowadays, you know, you could actually extract information from disk drives a lot easier, but you know, oh, that yeah. was then, this is now too. You know, it's like, exactly. Anyway. exactly. Uh, one other one here, you know, it's like, uh, you mentioned it earlier, as the Elvis movies. I mean, yeah. you actually sat through all those. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, see, exactly. Yeah, it says the guy who wrote about the monkeys. Um, I know, I know. And, uh, yes, know, I sat through all the monkeys I, episodes, and I've seen virtually all the Elvis films, so I'm just kind of joking with you on that. I um, know. Well, is, well, you know, I, when I saw the monkey, I saw the monkeys in 1969. Uh, in concert oh, wow. just after just after Peter left the group, yeah, and then I saw him reform in the eighties in concert when Mike wasn't touring with him. Yeah. I never saw all four at once. I've seen all four, but three at a time, and yeah. now it's too late with Davey. Yeah, going. I I did that too. I saw um, well the the one that was predominant during the eighties and nineties a couple times so was you know, the Mickey Davy Peter version. And yeah. then and Davy passed away, and I saw him two weeks in person at a autograph show two weeks before he passed away, and then I figured, well, that's it, they're done, you know. And then later in that same year, Mike decided to pop up, and so I saw the other three, you know, Mike, Peter, and Mickey, and I go, okay, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I saw Davy, Mike, Mickey in '69, and then I saw uh, Davy, Peter, my, uh, Davy, Peter, Mickey, yeah. In, uh, 
uh, probably 86 or 87, and uh, never saw all four at once. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, the Elvis movies, I wrote that book to defend them because, mm-hmm. um, first of all, Elvis was a decent actor. He had innate talent. It just never got, uh, right. you know, they, they never fostered anything with it because uh, um, when a dramatic movie like Wild in the Country is the only, only Elvis movie to lose money, and a lightweight musical like Blue Hawaii is his biggest money maker. <laughs> the producers and the management, Colonel Parker, are going to go where the money is. And Elvis just followed along. I mean, uh, so he would have loved to have made uh, more movies like King Creole and, yeah, Flaming, say, Star, King? and Flaming Star and <laughs> Jailhouse Rock, you know, the more dramatic ones. But uh, they wanted fun in Acapulco. And what's amazing is that when you look up, I mean, even the weaker Elvis movies like Clambake, when you look up what what they did in the theaters, I mean, and this was during a time when the Beatles and the Stones and Motown and everything was killing on the charts, and Elvis hadn't had a hit since Crying in the Chapel. And uh, <laughs> that, um, the, 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 but his movies are like huge box office blasts, and you hear see uh, movie distributor or uh, exhibitors uh, <laughs> writing to the trade magazine saying. Boy, oh boy, that Elvis saved the day for us. We really made money on clam bake. And the, <laughs> it's one of his best, one of his best, and the kids loved it. And I'm like, oh, come on. I, I, I went to that movie. Nobody loved it. Yeah. But uh, that that's what was going on. And yeah. I remember going to see Speedway uh, at the theater, and there were people, like, dancing in the aisles and stuff during wow. the songs. It was just a nuthouse. And I'm like, this is great. And so it's hard to look back at those those movies and say that they're all bad. They're not great cinema by any right. stretch of the imagination. But it's hard to call them bad because they were so much fun. And yeah. I, I, I realize that even his most nonsensical, lightweight musicals, <laughs> I always felt a little better after watching one. There yeah. was something, I mean, they're they're colorful and have the pop music and pretty girls. I mean, what's not to like? Yeah. So, uh, so I was digging them, and I thought, you know, I'm going to do a book on the Elvis movies, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the one where I think I think that's the one where somebody wrote into Amazon and said. Uh, I don't like the paper the book was printed on. Two, st- two stars. Yeah, I think I got one that said, "How come all uh, how, how come all the uh, photos are in black and white too?" So I think they wanted a glossy picture right. book with uh, color photos, which uh, yeah, it wouldn't be much fun. So but there's okay. plenty of those, so you could just look yeah. at a glossy book and read yours. Um, w- did any of Elvis's movies actually flop, like Change of Habit or Charo or those later ones like that? No. Wow. <laughs> That's what's amazing. Um, Charo actually isn't that bad of a movie. No, Elvis it's not. Is. But I mean, I was thinking, you know, those are like at the tail end before he did the concert yeah. films, and I thought, yeah, he and, and yeah. you know, I, you figure he would walk through those because he already decided, nope, no more movies. I'm going back on tour. Mm. Um, uh, you know, after the success of the '68 special, so the stuff he did later on, and uh, you know, Trouble with Girls wasn't bad, and Charo wasn't bad. And, change of habit was but um <laughs> and, and then they uh he he did those and uh but they were still big hits and yeah. people still you know he could have kept making movies and kept making a lot of money on them mm-hmm. but uh i mean and, and uh i i, I had uh, a girlfriend over 
uh, t- to watch uh, Kiss and Cousins with me, <laughs> and because uh, I was trying to break up with it. No, but, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, and she's laughing through the whole thing, and she's yeah, this is one of his best ones, isn't it? And I says, no, this is a terrible one. <laughs> but uh, but she's laughing through the whole thing, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe people aren't approaching these like I do, you know, as films, and they're approaching them as silly Elvis movies, and if I get a few laughs, okay. Yeah. And that's all they expected. It cost 50 cents to see a movie back then. So yeah. uh, I, I put it all together and decided that, you know what, the Elvis movies, and people love to dismiss them. Uh, there was a documentary on HBO on Elvis, like a three-part thing, and I was interviewed for it. Mm-hmm. And because I spoke positively about the Elvis movies, <laughs> they didn't use one second of <laughs> <laughs> Because the whole thing about his movies was like uh, everybody saying, yeah, these suck. Boy, what a waste of time. Da, 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 da. And having me in there saying, hey, you know, I always feel better after watching one. It's like, yeah, get this guy out of here. So, uh, <laughs> but, so there, there, goes my, there goes my HBO debut. <laughs> but, but yeah, so um, so I, I actually like the Elvis movies for what they are. I'm not yeah. going to put them on the, in the same uh, class as uh, Hitchcock or Wells or Ford, but uh, for what they are, they're fun. Yeah. And there are some really good ones. I mean, if somebody really wanted to dissect it, you can get a King Creole or a Jailhouse Rock and just probably at least there's a good 10 really good films that you could recommend probably, uh, you know, that are solid, I would think. Or or, or four. Or four? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But no, they're they're fun. Even something like, like I said, Girl Happy and stuff like that. Fun in Acapulco. There's a certain lightweight fun to that. Yeah. And like I said, you feel better after watching one. Yeah. It's just, you know, it just relax. Well, it has something to do, you know, it's like you did Jerry Lewis films, and Hal Wallace yeah. was involved with both, you know, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis together mainly. But, yeah. you know, it's like, so there was a, kind of a similarity of those. And just in cinema in general, it's like people diss Disney films from the past, but that's the way a lot of films were made back in the 50s and 60s. The problem yeah. with Disney, and I did my Disney book about the 70s is they continued to make them that way long after everybody else had stopped you know bob hope stopped you know jerry lewis stopped elvis stopped and disney continued to make really lightweight stupid films way into the almost the 80s before they realized oh maybe we should change our style <laughs> but Super Dad. Yes, exactly. You know, so <laughs> I could see Super Dad being an Elvis film if he made one in the seventies. You know, just yeah. have him in there water skiing yeah, the, and screaming. You know, but yeah, with um, with with with, with uh, Gail Gordon in the Bob Crane role. There we go. <laughs> and just all the usual cameos: Edward Andrews, Kathleen Freeman. You know, it's like you can have everybody. Um, yeah. In in doing your Elvis book, uh, I know about A Star Is Born, but were there any other movies after he stopped making them that he was considering doing? The best one, the one I discovered in my research for, uh, and I'm like, oh come on! But I checked and checked, and it's true. Uh-huh. Death Wish. Hmm. I would have given anything for Elvis to have been in Death Wish instead of Charles Bronson. It was only like the early talks and stuff like that. Nothing nothing ever came of it. But when I think of what Elvis looked like in 1974, I'm I'm just picturing Elvis in a jumpsuit shooting punks. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, Char- but you know, and I love Charles Bronson. I like those movies. But uh, uh, the fact that Elvis was offered Death Wish, I'm like somebody's a genius in the studio. Wow. <laughs> Whoever came up with that 
Yeah, I'd like to buy them dinner. Now, how, but, how did you uh, find that one out? I mean, was it in interviews or well, you found was, paperwork? You, know, you look at, well, um, there was a lot of people uh, that would help. You know, nobody writes a book alone. There's always people out there that uh, um, just are really geeked up on that, this stuff. And, and they'll provide you not only with the information, but nowadays they'll provide you with links to, like, articles in the trades, you know, discussing some of that stuff. And it was just absolutely gobsmack fascinating to see something like that so uh so i love that so you know death wish was the one but there was a few along the way where uh um it goes all the way back to uh thunder road um well mitchum wanted elvis to uh play the younger role in that i i forgot who was who was it uh was it Bellamy that did that or Bellamy? remember yeah i forgot i forgot who ended up doing the role but uh um he came to Elvis himself and said, uh, come on, let's do this. He goes, well, I got to talk to my manager. Ah, forget your manager. Come on, I'm asking you to do it. Let's go. Yeah, I was going to say, wh- wh- who usually turned him down? Was it Elvis himself or the colonel? It, it was the colonel. No, Elvis was always really open to stuff. Oh, okay. he, he was he was cool about uh, doing A Star is Born, but uh, Colonel was like, no, you're not the only star. You have to share the share the stardom. And, uh, for something like... Uh, some, some like um, uh, Thunder Road. It's like no, that's Robert Mitchum's picture. You're you're not going to be the star. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, uh, Parker just was looking for the money. He used to say to the directors, "We're not here. We don't know anything about making movies. That's your job. All we want is enough uh, soundtrack songs for an album. Oh, brother, <laughs> you can you can do whatever you want. Right. And uh, that's how you ended up with uh, movies that even I." have to admit I couldn't sit through like like harem scarum I was gonna say what is your least favorite Elvis <laughs> yeah, it, it would be yeah harem scarum is the one where uh I shall to not watch that again <laughs> that's that's the one and isn't that um, another stay, Elvis even, double even a, isn't that another even a complete uh mishmash like stay away Joe yeah. is cool because he's got Burgess Meredith in there yeah, yeah, and, like yeah. jo- Joan Blondell and stuff and th- there's just something cool about that um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, harem, scarem, that, that was murder. That was awful. Isn't that another one of those ones where Elvis plays a double role? Is that correct? Or am I thinking a different one? Because he does it. Uh, like no, a, that, yeah, that, that's Kissing Cousins. Okay, Harum, because I know Harum, he does Scarum. it about three films. I think it's that, and, you know, it seems like there's another one that he plays twin and stuff like that. I can't remember. Uh, I, 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 I can't, you know, uh, it's been a while since I've watched all okay. the movies, but I honestly don't can't think of one where he plays more than one part except Kissing Cousins. It seems like, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't seen them all in years either. The one I have a fondness for that doesn't get talked about much, and I, I don't know what your review is, but I'll bring it up, is Roustabout. I actually like that one quite a bit. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too, and uh, he uh, he liked the fact that Barbara Stanwyck was in it because he had a lot of respect for the old actors, yeah. and uh, he... Uh, tried to learn from her and ask her questions and stuff and i think that's a decent you know that's the only elvis uh, uh soundtrack album that uh was a number one album by hmm. the way that i didn't know that interesting. blue hawaii and, blue hawaii didn't go to number one i don't think so i oh, think okay. roustabout is uh, the only number one huh interesting but i know elvis didn't have too many number ones he wasn't like the and maybe in the 50s but you know he wasn't like the beatles he always kind of like i have this book i forgot the author's name but he's the big elvis you know sound or you know his whole discography connoisseur and he always has his name on every reissue but yeah you know, he wrote some book about elvis's recording sessions and 
Um, yeah, he, he just said, uh, you know, it's like Elvis never really topped the charts very much, you know, later on, but, you know, he sold enough to make RCA happy, so it's like... Yeah, yeah uh, uh, once the Beatles pretty much hit, um, he, was, he wasn't even in the top ten for yeah. uh, several years, and then when the 68 special uh, brought him back and he did those Memphis sessions in 69 mm-hmm. where he had uh, stuff like, you know, In the Ghetto and all that, yeah. uh, those started bringing him back on the charts. And I don't particularly, I like that, those sessions, but mm-hmm. I didn't particularly like stuff like In the Ghetto and Don't Cry Daddy and stuff like that. That's, you know, I prefer like the Sun Records and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, but you know how it is being a music guy. Yeah. Um... Did you talk about, you know, like I've heard this before, is Elvis wanted to be on Laugh-In, even going so far as riding the tricycle and the raincoat, uh, but Colonel said no. Uh, did you talk about possible TV appearances or anything, or did you just stay strictly with the movies? No, I stayed strictly with the movies, but uh, it's true that Elvis was a big fan of Laugh-In. He liked comedy. He liked silly stuff. Yeah. In fact, uh, he did a movie over at Allied Artists, you know, it was almost a semi-indie called Tickle Me, and the when he found out the screenwriters were Edward Burns and Elwood Ullman, and that they had written for uh, the Three Stooges and the Bowery Boys, yeah. he was all excited about, oh, I'm going to do some good old-fashioned classic comedy. You know, they had a haunted house thing full of haunted house gags in that movie and stuff that, you know, you could have put in any Bowery Boys movie, and Elvis loved it. And that's the only movie for which Elvis actually got an acting award. It was like, mm. you know, some magazine type thing or something like that. I don't know exactly what it was. Yeah. You know, there's Elvis, there's there's amazing, brilliant Elvis geeks out there that could just tell you that in a second. I wish I had him around. Right, Because right. they could help that out. It, it is funny about Elvis. I mean, he does have a, a very good sense of humor. I know he loved uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, what else did he like? Well, you know, the Pythons themselves. Uh, John, Jerry Lewis, uh, he said that um, uh, Elvis was like one of the nicest guys he ever met because mm-hmm. uh, he was a fan of Jerry Lewis and uh, he would come up and let him know stuff like that and uh, <laughs> kind of joke around at Paramount with him and stuff. And uh, he also had a lot of respect for Dean Martin, of course, yeah. uh, the sing- being the singer. But um, So, yeah, he liked Jerry Lewis a lot. He liked... Uh, a lot of comedy and the sillier the better it seemed and I love that about him and uh, you know when I did the research for my cracked books I found out Elvis read mad and cracked but he preferred cracked (laughs) so did I yeah a lot of people I found out have you know and yeah I guess it's because it's sillier and and not so you know whatever I don't know and and I get it when I was a little kid and I was reading mad I liked all the like you know Don Martin writing out sound effects and the, you know, Al, Al Jaffe fold-ins and the lighter side with Dave Berg. But there was a, often a point to be made in a lot of the humor yeah, there. Yeah. Whereas Cracked just wanted to be funny. Yes. And so uh, I, I always liked Cracked better and then Sick, too. Remember yeah, Sick? Yeah. That was out mm-hmm. there. That was good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see is there any other books that we haven't really covered that we should at least mention or you know that's pretty much the ones i want to mention yeah well i have uh written 25 the 25th one comes out uh in the spring i don't know when this i don't know when this is going to run so it'll probably be be coming out around the time this airs so yeah you can go ahead ahead and plug it go ahead and plug it that that works out Uh, a book called the gene harlow films which i talked about earlier the uh and then uh right now um i'm working on a book 
on a director named William Bodine. He was a director who started in the silent era and worked into the television era. Mm -hmm. And he has an absolutely fascinating career because a lot of people are very dismissive because he spent most of his time doing low-budget stuff. Mm -hmm. But with a threadbare budget and like six days to make a feature film, he did some really cool creative stuff. And uh, it's sort of like the Elvis movies. I'm writing a book to kind of defend William Bodine's work. And (laughs) I'm going to start and... uh, we're going to cover all the silent shorts, the silent features, the early talkies. He went over to England and did some directing, came back here and went into low-budget films and stayed there through the 40s into the 50s. We're even going to talk about TV in that one. We're going to cover his whole career. It's going to be a career overview. I won't go film by film because he made like 700. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I'm going to, there'll be a chapter like, the silent shorts, the silent features, England, uh, and uh, the, um, I'll talk about the highs and lows and the different films and so forth with each within each of those chapters, so we get a really good career overview of the myriad of different uh, genres he worked in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one uh, thing that will get its own chapter is the Bowery Boys, mm-hmm. because he did uh, nearly all of those, and so we'll discuss uh, specifically his films in that series and. Uh, their significance as being uh, some of the better ones, like Blues Blues Busters, Let's Go Navy, Ghost Chasers. Some of the better Bowery Boys movies were uh, helmed by Bo Dean. Very cool. All right, and uh, if people want to get a hold of you or uh, how to find your books, uh, it's plug time, so uh, plug websites or emails or however you get in contact with you and Well, you don't get the books from me, but you can buy them the usual channels like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. They're out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I I write for different publishers, so I can't say one specific publisher. I've uh, I've worked for uh, Scarecrow, Rogers, and uh, uh, Roman and uh, Littlefield, and uh, McFarland, and Bear Manor, and a lot of different publishers, so it's not one specific publisher. And... um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's the way to do it. I'm on social media. I'm on uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, I, I have a. I suppose if you search my name, you always got to put the middle middle initial though. That's one one thing I discovered on the internet. There's other people with my ridiculous name, and I never real never really <laughs> realized that. But uh, yeah, James L. Nyber. Uh, the reason I use the middle initial, uh, um, I, I suppose uh, you'd be able to find my website where I regularly do uh, uh, DVD reviews and book reviews of. Uh, older films and uh, different books. I, I've reviewed a few of your books uh, hey, cool. over time, as a matter of fact. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, you, you can probably find that. But, yeah, yeah pretty pretty typical, pretty ordinary stuff. Yeah. Well, in, in my case, in my name's like John Smith. It's so common, but uh, yeah. I've told people if you want to do a Google, Google search to so pick me out, just put Mark Arnold Historian, and that usually weeds out all the others. <laughs> Yeah, if you put my middle initial, you, you'll hit upon uh, books and articles and stuff. And right. if you leave it out, you know, you'll get somebody that isn't be okay. that lives in Idaho somewhere. I okay. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was a pleasure having you as a guest today, James. And anything, any final comments or anything else to say before we let you go? Well, I hope my interview came out better than my Bob Hope book so that people won't stop listening to your program for any reason. Well, as long as I don't erase it, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it over again. I'll try to remember all my same exactly. Yeah, we have to yeah. do the same ad libs and everything else. Yeah, right. maybe maybe they'll come up better this time. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, well, I thank you very much, and uh, sure. have a good day. Talk to you soon. All right, man. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, James Nybar, for being my special guest. James wanted me to remind you of a book that we did not discuss on this podcast called The Charlie Chan Films. It's available on Amazon and from Bear Manor Media. Episode number 34 will be coming soon, and if you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a Patreon of Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.